When I was a kid, Marcus Haney was my favorite TV personality. He was the local weatherman, an occasional talk show host, and perhaps most famously, he was the late-night horror host known as Mandible Mike. For decades, Haney served multiple functions at the TV station, as well as being a fixture at just about every charity event and fundraiser there was. He was tall and good-looking, with an easy smile and friendly eyes, and he had a sort of fatherly way about him. I never knew my own father, and with mom at work most of the time when I was a kid, I was raised by the television. I would watch Marcus Haney on TV and wonder what it would be like to have him as a dad, and I imagined it would be great. I used to write letters to Mandible Mike, despite the makeup and the bug helmet that hid his face from full view. It was pretty obvious that Mandible Mike was Marcus Haney. Even as a little kid, I could tell that the so-called monster was good old Marcus. I told him as much in my letters. About once a week, I'd pull a sheet of paper from my Lamborghini trapper keeper and sit down to write. Dear Mandible Mike, how are you? I'm fine. I really like your helmet and how the antennas stick straight up even when you move around a lot. I'm glad you played Frankenstein meets the Wolfman on Saturday night. My favorite part was when Frankenstein met the Wolfman. It was really neat. Did you make your own Mandible Mike costume? Or did the TV station make it for you? Is it even fun doing the weather anyway? Well, I have to go now. If I do chores before dinner, Mom lets me watch Night Court with her. Do you like Night Court? It's really funny. My favorite is Bull. Love, Tony. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Guild Podcast, the podcast from the Writers, Artists, and Readers Guild. I am your host, Chris Mary Holtzman, and I'd just like to start off with just some news, breaking news. This week saw the pre-order and announcement of Zero Hour 2113, a collaborative cyberpunk uh, story. Uh, written by 13 authors and a few more little drabbles in between. Uh, I'm part of it. That's why I'm announcing it. Uh, it is uh, a great piece of science fiction and anything for, for lovers of cyberpunk and cyberpunk adventures and cyber noir. It's got a little tech noir in it and stuff like that. Um, you can... I'll put the links up in the show notes and you can click on the pre-order right now. It's only pre-order for Kindle, but it will be available in paperback and in hardback in January. Um, there'll be uh, people who've uh, been part of this podcast are uh, on it. Tim Mendes um, and uh, David Green, for instance. David Green is the one who's been spearheading the whole thing. Yes, uh, shameless plug done for today. Um, our guest today is William Stewart. We talk about the issues he had with his name uh, later on in the podcast. We talk a lot about about all the different things. Uh, uh, William is a podcaster, a convention arranger, and no sleep horror writer. So he has a lot of strings on his loot. Uh, it is a very fun little uh, talk that we have. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to bother you anymore. Let's just get into the interview with William Stewart right away. Uh, 
William Stewart, welcome to the show, to the Guild podcast. How are you doing today? Um, <laughs> I'm doing well. Got somebody making tea over here to my left, but now that everything's good, it's uh, Monday Monday morning. Everybody's trying to get to virtual school and virtual work and all of that fun stuff. But yeah, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy crazy time, uh, and especially. In, in I guess in a little bit of the well side business side hustle that we do, uh, it, it's difficult to find the time with everything. I I am a teacher, as I told you, and being able to, you know, sitting in front of a computer all day. Now that with well when it was because now here it's we don't have virtual school anymore. Students are actually here, but when you were sitting in front of a computer all day, sitting in front of the computer to write was you know, not something that you look forward to. Right. So it's, how, how have you been dealing with that? <laughs> um, well, um, the, the actual writing of new stories has been a little bit difficult just because, mm. uh, my brain's just fried all the time. Like between, like you said, sitting down at the computer, you know, you got, got this and that, you got kids and their, their virtual school. And then, just trying to get through the day. But um, yeah, so I actually went out. I had a surgery in January. So I was out of work for like five weeks, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So from like the second week of January to the uh, first week of March, I was home and I was on vocal rest. So I was basically just in the house. I didn't leave. And then I went back to work for two days and then they sent us to work from home for the, uh, for the pandemic thing. And uh then at the end of June, then, then uh, the company had gone through a restructure, so I found myself unemployed. But essentially, with the whole lockdowns and everything, I've been in my house pretty much since January. Like, I've gone out and done stuff. Like, I go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get out of here. But I've been housebound, basically, for, yeah. uh, since, since January. So I was actually ahead of the curve by some of the, <laughs> some of the folks. So, um, but, no, I've used the time to, uh, to compile and edit. I've, I've got a... Like with everybody, I've got a massive folder of awesome stories that are only two or three pages into it because yeah. I got distracted at some point. So um, I kept feeling this need to to open up a blank page and start a new story. Maybe I had an idea. Maybe there was a prompt or whatever. Um, but I found it actually quite nice that I've been opening these folders and finally like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was kind of a cool idea. And, you know mess around with it a little bit you know i can't remember what, what was it a, a you know a slasher or a monster or what was it that was going to happen and uh so i've been actually you know polishing those and uh getting the edits done and getting some of the formatting done and so um even though all the craziness of 2020 i managed to get a book released which yeah. has been been uh been awesome and then in October, I've got another one coming out. So I just got the, uh, the cover art more or less finalized. I've got to get a blurb and a couple other little things on there. But um, the artist sent me over the final, final draft, and it's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. So, and that's going to be coming out uh, hopefully the week of Halloween. So, uh, oh, cool. And then I will have more or less cleared my cash, and I will then have to open up to the blank page and start, <laughs> start working <laughs> on some stuff. I've, yeah, I've realized I've gotten to that point too. Well, I mean, I've 
so I, I had my first book released in July. So, uh, you know, like a novel. And, and you work on it for a long time. I mean, this is probably like five years in the, in the making mm -hmm. uh, until I got to a place where I was happy with it and edited and everything like that. And I have a second story that is out right now for, for queries. And we'll see. I mean, it's been rejected once, so we'll see about if the other <laughs> publisher that I sent it to is going to accept it or not. But those and and those are stories that I've they've been complete for a while. So they're they're and now I'm kind of for the first time having to contend with not having actual stories complete, like novels complete. I mean, I can sit and write short stories; that's fine. But and that's a very that's a very daunting prospect. Mm -hmm. Of like, I don't actually have anything done. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm kind of once, once this, I've got one more um, story that I'm about three quarters of the way through and hopefully I'll be able to, to uh, knock it off in the next couple of days mm -hmm. uh, that's supposed to go into this new book. And um, then that'll more or less leave me with, with no inventory. I'll be sold <laughs> out. <laughs> and um yeah, I don't know. With the with the whole pandemic, it's you know pretty creepy. But um, like, I've got a buddy of mine that works in a bike shop. He's a, he manages a bike shop, and then of course yeah. with everybody going to to uh, to work from home, bikes became a hot commodity, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he he made a complaint on Facebook. You know, just he's just kind of complaining about his day, right? And uh, I went out to see him, and he's like, "Man, he's like, this is no good. It's like we got no bikes on the floor, we got no parts." We can't get anything. He's like, I don't, he's like, we've had our best year ever selling all the inventory out, but at the same time, we can't get inventory in. So I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm like, oh, I'm kind of looking at that same situation because, you know, you, you release a collection, you know, depending on the length of the stories, you know, it's, I never, I never try to think in terms of length, like no. even, even, even with like writing prompts for, uh, for, for publishers will say, Oh, you know, Hey, you know, minimum 2000, maximum 5,000, you know, and I'll end up with, you know, six, 7,000 words in the first draft. And I figure the story needs to tell itself. Yeah. And then, then if I need to cut it down or if I need to split it into two parts, or if maybe this, this anthology just wasn't the right fit for this story. Cause, uh, I always find if I start thinking of in terms of word count, then I start thinking technically, technicality and then the rhythm falls off you know it's like you can't have a drummer thinking too hard about what he's you know keeping the beat because if he does it's gotta it, it, it he tumbles so uh but yeah i'll have to start writing <laughs> and that's that's the scary part man that's the scariest yeah. part about writing horror stories is actually writing the story so. yeah no i mean and, yeah as i said i completely i completely agree with that i mean the thing is i have two two stories that are halfway done, but I always kind of like having that one story that was finished and completed um, on the back burner was always like a nice feeling. It was something you could lean back on and just like, well, I don't feel like creating anything right now. Maybe I'll just work on kind of tweaking this one to send it in, or I'll write a query letter for, for it to be sent in. Mm -hmm. So you always have that, like, I mean, I, mean, I guess it's like kind of uh, when you own like a shop, you're just like, well, I'm working on the the books here. 
cooking the books <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, and, and as a writer, I think you do, you kind of do that too. It's always nice to have that little, like have an inventory of kind of tweaking stuff and kind of looking at calls and thinking like, well, actually I have stories that are done that would fit this call. Yes, so exactly. Me, I'm That's always so cool. Yeah. That's always <laughs> so cool. <laughs> You're like, oh, you, you need a, you know, whatever length story about a, you know, a, a, a river monster. And you're like, oh, I just happen to have one that, like, I don't even need to do anything. Here, email, done. And there it goes. It's like, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, let's, let's go. So, you're, yeah, you just, uh, you just released uh, one book and you're releasing the next one. Um, are these self-published books or are these books through a publisher? These are self-published. Mm -hmm. um, I have I've gone through several different publishers. You know, had stories written in different anthologies, a um, couple of uh, audio narrations, and stuff like that. And like you were talking about writing out the query letters and stuff like that. Like I, I don't know if it's a if it's a laziness or if it's just a indie ethic sort of thing, but I always feel like my time would be better served working on story rather than, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, sending out a bunch of query letters. Um, and then also then, then I get to keep control. So yeah. I, I, and I, it sounds, it sounds spoiled Brad, whenever you actually put it into words, um, but yeah, if they, if they want to, if they call and they say, Hey, you know, we really like this story. We want to do something with it. Then I'm all for it. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, like I said, I've, I've sat down and I've read the blogs and the, the, the tweets and all the different stuff about how you, you know, it's turning it into a full-time job, just sending out emails to agents and publishers and trying to get them to pay attention and, uh, <laughs> so. you think that, do you think there's a difference though between because I often encounter and have been on, and, and guests on this podcast, usually self-publishing a lot of the time, a majority of the time, I should say, not often, not, but it's short story collections are usually mm -hmm. what people self-publish. Whereas like maybe a full length novel uh, is something that you might want to send into a publisher. Yes. And, um, I do have a full length novel that's about halfway done, like everybody mm -hmm. else does. <laughs> um, when I started writing it, I had a lot of really great ideas, but I think I was not yet. I didn't have the technical ability to, to, to pull it, to pull it off. I needed mm -hmm. some, I needed to, 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 to hone my skills a bit. So I kind of, I set it to the side, I put it on the back burner um, that's probably what I'm going to go to next. And, um, but then once, yeah, exactly. Once I have a full length novel that hopefully could be become part of a, you know, the first of a series, then I, you know, look at it quite a bit more on the, on the business side of things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because I've never written like everybody wants, everybody wants to have that, uh, you know, that Stephen King sort of like everything you write is just, you kind of just put it out into the world and yeah. they'll publish it because they won't even look at it twice. Um, but you have to like, you'll, you'll, you have to use your stories for marketing. So you use this book to, to market for the next book and then you use 
those two, like maybe you get an audio narration and you can use that as an advertisement for your next or whatever. So it all kind of rolls around, but um, yeah, I, I'll, that was another thing too, is I don't think any serious agent's going to be like, okay, well, you've got 10 stories. Let's, uh, let's, let's make a big deal here. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> no, and I think that's, that's the difference. I mean, it feels like a short story collection and I, I can see myself doing a short story collection and putting it out myself once, well, once all the rights have reverted back to me from the anthologies. And I can honestly say that I have no idea when that's going to be of any other stories. I don't know how long these companies are going to be owning my stories. Um, and then maybe I'd put out like a themed anthology of some kind and say like these stories kind of like work together. But, but I don't know. I don't, I don't not, I don't think I'm, the, it feels like something that you do with the, the, in the later part of your career, maybe. I don't know. You've done it. I mean, that's the first thing you did. Well, I mean, what was your thinking behind putting out short story collections? Well, I've got, I've, I've, I've written a lot of the short stories for different anthologies and for the mm -hmm. calls. And so um, with the, the Moonlight Road, the one that just came out. So, that the 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 theme the story of it basically i was uh i host a halloween and horror convention here in mm -hmm. houston um i started my buddy with the podcast uh, with scary dad we we he works for the uh, one of the biggest uh, pop culture conventions in in uh in the country it's called comic palooza but just a few hours to our north in Dallas, we have a, a thing called Texas Frightmare Weekend, and it is a international um, destination for horror fans. Mm. And it is also a, the like the best run convention you've ever been to, as far as everybody knows where everything is. It's laid out properly. Um, all of your celebrities are in their spots all day. They don't let them play uh, Hollywood, and you know, just get up and leave a line sitting like a lot of the conventions do. And so we were like, okay, well, if, if we can, if they can get people to come from all over the world to come to Dallas, like we can get some some people around Houston to come to a themed horror convention. So we started, we started scary dad and, and, and in setting up vendors, I met a lot of local writers and publishers who were coming in to sell books. And so I started talking to him and I started reading some stuff and I was like, okay, well, I've got a bunch of ideas and I've been kind of picking around the edges for writing for years, but just never kind of getting around to it. Well, then we got hit by hurricane Harvey, which um, flooded the city badly, like real, real bad. And um, one of the publishers did a uh, hurricane Harvey anthology, like a, a charity anthology. Yeah. So I wrote, a, I wrote a story for that anthology and sent it in as a donation. It was the first story I'd ever actually completed and it got picked up and published in that book. And so then I kind of caught the, caught the bug and I started writing other stories. And then uh, the No Sleep Podcast Book Club, I don't know if you're familiar with, yeah. with them. Um, they started doing a monthly writing prompt. And so the, the writing prompt was was uh, one month and I wrote the story for that. And then it got pretty well received. So I just kept doing it and writing all kinds of different stories. Well, then when it came time, like, so I had stories and anthologies kind of all over the place. Like you say, yeah. you know, a call would go out and I would have a story either half done or already done or whatever. And so I'd 
I just kind of was building inventory over the last couple of years. Um, and then like you, you were talking about getting the rights, like, okay, so I was getting royalties. I'd get like a $5 check or $10, you know, PayPal from this publisher, that publisher. And it was kind of, and I started thinking about, okay, well, if the royalty split is 50% for the publisher, right. And then it goes 50% to the authors and I'm in here with 12 other authors and I'm getting five bucks. So that means that the, basically the royalty for that, that book that month was 120 bucks and I got five, right? Yeah. Well, if I'm the publisher, maybe then I can start stacking up some royalties and having a, a hobby that actually will pay for coffee or something, you know, um, may, maybe something can come of it. Um, so I decided to go ahead and self publish and I had a big old stack of stories. And then I looked through and was realizing that certain ones had a common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, if you read Moonlit Road, you're going to be like, man, this guy is all about demons. And the truth is I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not really all about demons, but you know, sometimes you're writing a story and there's a monster and you have to explain, well, where did it come from? And mm-hmm. you say, okay, well, um, this, this month, you know, this comes from mismanaged occult, right? Like somebody was messing around with the Ouija board and out pops the monster. And so then I had a whole bunch of stories that kind of fit in that theme. And um, when I put them together, it just kind of seemed to work. And so I like the Easter egg sort of thing. I like where not, not to the same extent that Stephen King does where he's just put all of his old books into the same no. universe with, with uh, the, the, the drawing of the three or whatever. But I, I do like little nods. I liked it in, in certain ones where the, the um, you know, Ace from Stand By Me is in uh, Needful Things, right? Like he's, yeah. he's, he, they, they're in the same universe. He's not a major character, but you, he's down at the bar and you, you're like, oh, I know that guy. So I went through and I changed some of my locations and some of my character names to make the stories interact with one another. So that it is a truly themed collection where when you, when you open to page one and you're reading through, then kind of when you're towards the end, you're like, Oh, Hey, you know, it's kind of the same little mountain Ridge or little, little grove here, you know? And I put it out there and it, has done pretty well actually not you, uh yeah i'm guessing a couple of cups of coffee um yeah it's it's done well I, it's um it's weird with the pandemic sort of thing like amazon screwed up my proofs they sent them yeah. somewhere um so it took me like a long time to get my actual proofs and there is a box of proofs out there somewhere that uh you know somebody's gonna find in a box someday and be like is this guy somebody um but then I got my author, <laughs> I got my author copies in, and I didn't know because all the all the the, the conventions and any place that you would sell a book is mm. is closed down. And so I, I ordered in like twenty, and was like, you know, that'll be a good first run. And then they were sold out in the first day. Like everybody was like texting me and being like, hey, I need one. You know, um, people showing me copies that they you know, on, you know, texting me pictures of them getting their paper copy in and stuff. So um, it's done pretty well. And um, then I've got the next one coming out. So then I'll put this one on sale to kind of go around yeah. the two. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been 
it's been good. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it sounds like you. And I think, I mean, probably, I mean, you could uh, attribute it a little bit to maybe being part of the convention scene and having your name out there beforehand. And, then, and I've noticed that too. There's a big difference, I think, with the people that are involved with no sleep because uh, that's a big community. Mm-hmm. And, and people are nice and they tend to buy each other's books. But then there are uh, other groups uh, and other authors that I've in, uh, interviewed that, that don't have that, that network where no sleep isn't like a thing. And then sometimes if you don't have that big network and you're just like a lone writer who doesn't have the exchange with other writers. So it's difficult to, to, to get there. You need to have like a base that, that are the ones that start re- writing or start reading the book and start leaving reviews and, you know, get some traction. You, ab- you absolutely, I mean, community is so important, especially, I mean, it, with everything, you know, you gotta, you, I think this whole, world shutting down like you know you've seen those memes it's like oh well it shows you what's really important you know it's like um i will never once once live music comes back i will never uh be like oh they'll come back around again you know what i mean like um because that's one of my favorite things in the world but the the writer's community if you are a writer of anything Mm. doesn't matter if it's horror fantasy or you know literary um, high-minded, whatever you have to have. You first of all, you have to have eyes on your stories, and hopefully, eyes on your stories from like-minded folks. You know, um, if I'm writing horror, the the chief thing that I'm trying to do is scare you, get a rise out of it. Yeah. And if I if I send you my book and you read it and you're you know like you might be like me where you're desensitized, so you're like, well, it wasn't. It didn't really scare me, but I can see how it's going to scare somebody else, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, to have people look over your shoulder and tell you what works, what mm. doesn't work. Uh, many of these stories have been edited and, you know, rewritten different parts, different things, trying to get the tension right. You have a couple of folks that, um, you know, will be brutally honest yeah. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes it hurts when you're like, Hey, here's the thing. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't quite work for me. You're like, Oh man, I thought it was kind of on the right track. But at the end of the day, they were right. You know, you did need to cut that story or cut that scene or, you know, whatever. But the community is, that's where it's at. I mean, if you're, yeah, if you don't have people reading your stories, <laughs> then you're, they're not going to buy your books. Yeah. So. I think that's, that's an interesting, and I think for anybody, because I mean, this podcast is, just as much about you know learning what it takes to be a writer uh tips and tricks and you know just discussions about writing in general you know from people that that are involved with it and and doing it and i think what it comes down to is that there's basically i think there's two big things that you need you need a community that helps you out that is supportive and 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 buy stuff and i think you can bypass that if you're strong, if you're good enough and you manage to get an agent, I think you're, you can bypass that. But the other part is, and I think I tell, I tell my students in my creative writing class all the time, but you've got to get people to read your stuff. Mm-hmm. Got to dare to go out there. And cause I think you are just like, like me, when you got that first acceptance letter and saying that we enjoyed your story and we're going to publish that. Like, I think there were no holds barred after that you just kind of like 
and then it doesn't matter if the second one got rejected because you can mm-hmm. still live off of that one acceptance for a long time and you can just it keeps you wanting to push forward and have that sensation absolutely and you know going back when you say well you, you know if you can you can skip community if you get an agent but you have to realize then but he's got the community yeah like he like the publishing company has the built-in community. They have their, their authors and they have their fans and they say, if you like so-and-so, then you'll like this guy that like the community is still there. It's yeah. just not, it's just not homegrown. Right. Yeah. And, um, but, and again, you know, liking it to music, you know, you've got to, you've got to do the club shows before the <laughs> AR guy comes calling, you know, you got to get your, your cred in there and you've got to, you've got to practice. You can't just, you know, nothing, nothing happens in a vacuum. You can't just like, and you know, that's one of those things where when you sit down and you're just like, I'm really not feeling it today. I'm just not feeling creative. I, you know, like you said, I'll just work on some, uh, some admin here, but at the end of it, you've got to push through and get the stories written, you know? And then again, with community, it's just as much it's it's reciprocal too you've got you can't just be like hey guys read my story you know you know those you know that in these uh um when you're in these writing groups and people just pop out of the ether and be like they just joined the group and they're like hi read my story and you're kind of like wait who are you yeah and you know they're not necessarily trying to be rude but they're also not uh excuse me this they're not trying to be rude, but they're also just kind of not necessarily, they, they don't, they haven't, they don't know the etiquette of it yet. Yeah. They don't kind of know how it works. Um, but yeah, you know, you go in and you read other people's stories, you give them feedback, you ask, you know, pretty specific questions about things and, you know, you, you know for lack of a better word, you make friends. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I think what really just to to jump in there. I think you once once you've had a couple of critiques when people have read your stuff and they said, you know, I this is kind of like I'm I'm missing this or I don't understand this. Then you also have the guts to do it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, too, and I think between like Siskel and Ebert and Beavis and Butthead and you know are kind of the 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 concept of criticism has almost gone full negative Yeah. to where somehow it, it makes you cool to not like things. Mm. Some, some, somehow it makes you cool to, to be able to pick things apart and give them a hard time. Whereas if you're actually a legitimate critic and you can sit there and read, you know, somebody's story and see where they're coming from, kind of see, see it from a writer's perspective, but also see it from a, a complete fans perspective you know i'm going to open this book at an airport for example and it needs to keep me entertained on a plane and you can read through there um i generally will just tell people what works and what doesn't and uh, i'm very highly inspired by neil gaiman yeah and he's got he's got a lot of really good uh feedback on 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 stuff he's like you know if somebody tells you something's not working then they're generally right yeah he says but if somebody starts telling you what to fix they're generally wrong um, because they're, they're putting their own ideas into your story or whatever. So if, if I'm reading your story and you say, you know, 
blah, 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 blah. And then the monster turns and I'm like, yeah, this is just not working for me. I'll come back and be like, look, you know, that scene with the monster coming out of the barn, you're going to have to like lengthen it a little bit, make it, make it a little bit more tense, but I'm not going to tell you like, here, let me rewrite it for you. You know, <laughs> like, like, like he's got too many horns, take the horns off, you know, like that, that's a little too detailed. Um, this, this whole scene. So, so I'm trying, I try to be as, honest and straightforward and brutally if i have to be if it's like man this is just not working you know yeah but um yeah and I, just, I just did that there was a, a, a young I, she must have been young uh author who like jumped into a critique group just like you said this kind of like out of nowhere and i think it probably because she's young and not really sure what what to do and she had like the story and she said, like, I've sent it to several publishers, uh, but they're not picking it up. But I don't really know. I, can somebody look at my first like 30 pages? Because that's generally what they look at. And I said, yeah, I can do it. And I have a, my background is, I mean, I, I went to school to be a literary scholar in universities and with a, a focus, especially on fantasy and, and horror. So I feel I have a little bit on my, you know, <laughs> background when it comes to at least fantasy because that was it was a fantasy story, and and yeah, and then I gave her a critique. There were a lot of things that needed to be fixed that were kind of like stuff that I could definitely recognize that I would have done when I was maybe younger, like in my late teens, early twenties, mm-hmm. and not knowing anything about writing. Uh, and also stuff that I kind of like. Well, this doesn't really work in a fantasy setting you need to, to they, they're, they're speaking in, in way too modern of a way. Uh, they're making, you're making references to stuff in like Italy during the Renaissance. And that doesn't really work in a fantasy world and stuff like that. And some of that stuff she took and some of it was like, oh, but I'm trying to make it more, you know, I want a modern feel. I want fantasy to evolve. And I was just saying, yeah, but it, this isn't the way it evolves though. And you think mm-hmm. you have to also think that if you're going to send it to a legit publisher, they're not going to think that way. Right. No, they're not going to say like, yeah, this person is evolving the genre right away. That's the next step. So you have to put it out of that perspective. When you, when you read and you critique somebody's stuff, I feel like you have to kind of think about, but in which way am I critiquing it? Am I critiquing just as a fan or uh, like wording or also what is it you want with it? Are you going to self publish this? Oh, no, maybe then you can do this, but are you trying to send it to publishers? Then this isn't going to work. I think, I think there's a lot of writers out there and I know this because my, my kids are both in school right now in first mm-hmm. and like fourth grade and like the diagramming of sentences, just, just semantics isn't really there the way it was whenever we would have been in school. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel I, I'm, I'm kind of sad about that. I'm actually kind of angry about that because you know, the mechanics and the structure of the language is important. You know, it's, it's the Picasso saying you got to know the rules in order to break them properly. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. and the thing is, if you, like you say, if you're trying to modernize fantasy, well then you should have like a doctorate in fantasy before you start trying to change, you know, change the genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. You should have it. You should have be so well versed in it and have your, have your language and your history all down. And um, again, I mentioned Neil Gaiman and it's one of those things like he wrote the Sandman when he was like in his late twenties, early thirties. Right. Mm. But if you read the Sandman, 
like it's a tapestry, but it's full of music references, yeah. literary references. I mean, this this guy who's writing a comic book had, you know, he knew Paradise Lost <laughs> and, you know, Shakespeare. And, you know, he's got all of these different references to all of these. I mean, they're not necessarily uh, obscure, but some of them are. Um, but yeah, he, he was flipping the genre around, but he knew it. He he had the chops, yeah. <laughs> like he and, he had the history. So and, and there's a, I think there's a difference there where a lot of people think that. And then I had a discussion with a student too who thought that I mean I, she was telling me I'm going to be a writer, and she says I'm going to be a writer. And I said well that's going to be quite difficult. I mean how are you? What are you thinking? Um, I mean she's like well I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to get published. And it's just like yeah, but you're. 19 you're going on 20 that's not going to happen overnight and she's just like well thinking like well you are a little bit too i mean you're you're kind of stepping on my dreams <laughs> and i'm just like well no no I'm not really but it's going to be you're going to be stepping on your own dreams yeah if you don't if you don't if you don't be careful and and, and kind of look at you need to you can't just start she had never written anything at all. She was just like, well, I read a lot. So say, yeah, but that's not going to help you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's with everything. It's, it's a, it's a muscle you have to flex. You have to read a lot. You have to write a lot. Um, and you have to write a lot of not necessarily stories, you know, like you have to journal, you have to write down ideas, you have to write, compose and craft emails there's there's more to it than just you know it was a dark and stormy night and if you can if you can manage in a lifetime to get that kind of an opening then hey that's awesome right yeah most, most people don't um most people struggle with beginnings and endings um i know i do i generally start the story and i i, I kind of do the 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 Hemingway thing, like write drunk, edit sober, where it's just kind of like, okay, <laughs> here's a, here, here's a, here's a scene, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of tumble in, 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 in the middle of the story. And then I'll swing back around and write the beginning. Um, sometimes I'll be rambling for a while and be like, okay, I think I need to turn it. I need, I need to go ahead and tie this up, you know, and, and, and draw it to a close. Um, but if you're not, if you're not, writing you can't be a writer like that's <laughs> and and if you don't take mechanics and semantics seriously then you also can't be a writer no because nobody would have taken picasso seriously in his you know experimental phases if he hadn't have been so good in his traditional phases right yeah. he earned himself the right to to transcend his genres right um, and you can't do that without, you have to write a straightforward story. You have yeah. to write, you know, you have to write about monsters. You have to write about, you know, sh you know, killer sharks or whatever it is, you know, cause <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm generally in horror, so I'm always falling back on that. Um, but you know, it doesn't matter if you read, um, my dad was a big fan of Louis L'Amour, you know, okay. the Cowboys and the Westerns, mm -hmm. and he's got a book called you know it's a it's an autobiography it's called the education of a wandering man and if you read what he's talking about writing it's almost identical to what stephen king talks about yeah. on writing in his book 
they're they're not any day. He's like, you got to read a lot, you got to write a lot, you got to put your butt in a chair, and you got to write words, and that's just that's how you become a writer, and then that's how you get good is just writing. It's yeah. got to write all the time, and like you say, well, like we get bogged down in the life. <laughs> it's it's hard, um, but then by not doing it, you're like, well, that's that's one day away from a story complete that should have been done a few days ago, you know, like, uh. <laughs> we're going to have to pause a little bit. Uh, I think my daughter set off our alarm at home. So I just have uh -oh. to double check because she called. So I'll just, okay. So we were talking about uh, genre fiction and you were talking about mainly, mainly horror. Has it always been horror for you? I mean, is that like what you grew up on? Um, pretty much. Um, I mean, my dad always had a book in his pocket. He had one in his other pocket. I remember being a kid rolling around in the back seat of the car and he usually had three or four novels that had, yeah. uh, um, he was either reading or they were all dog-eared. But I, I remember specifically like Stephen King, like The Dead Zone and Christine and stuff like that, just being in the back seat of the car. Um, picking them up and, and reading them and him being like, don't you read that? It's scary stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> but I was always lucky because I would just open it and it would just be like this tense scene, you know, like maybe two or three pages right in the middle of the book that were just, you know, uh, and I was, I was little, I'm talking like five or six years old, you know, so I couldn't read that well, but I could read well enough to know that this was really cool. And I was just always intrigued by it. But I mean, he read everything. So we had Westerns and we had, um, you know, my mom read romance and mm. historical fiction. So, I mean, I had to, growing up, we had a very, very serious library and I read a lot. I mean, I've read um, every genre across the board at some point, just, you know, fan, a lot of fantasy, you know, Terry Brooks and uh, Terry Goodkind and, you know, those guys. Then of course, stumbling into uh, Neil Gaiman when I was in high school, you know, that was the the first or second collection of the Sandman had just come out. The the graphic novels and the, the series itself was kind of um, counting down. It was in the tail end of the series. And I picked that up. And for me, that was life changing. Um, mm -hmm. Going to school, it's funny because, again, I'm frustrated with my daughter's school not teaching semantics. When I was in high school, we were reading Beowulf, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, this was one of those things where open the book, start reading it, get, get your head wrapped around the rhyme scheme. And then it just reads like a comic book, right? It's an adventure yeah, story. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, it is literature, but it's not, it wasn't written to be literature. No. It was written, it was written to, to, uh, as a superhero story. It's essentially what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, superhero fighting a monster. And I'm sitting there reading this book and I'm just like, this is amazing. You know, I'm going through the, just reading it like a book. And I'm like so far ahead of the rest of the class and everybody in the class is upset because it's boring or it doesn't make any sense or it's hard to read. And I can't understand why they don't, aren't seeing it the same way I am. And I literally get called up. Like the teacher's like, Hey, you know, it's your turn to read. And I'm like, okay, well, where are we? And it's like, we're on page three. I'm like, yeah, I'm on page 30. You know what I mean? <laughs> So then um, finding, finding Neil Gaiman to where he had such, he, it wasn't just, literature was not just dry um, words on a page. You know, it meant something. 
it had meaning. And there was a reason why we followed these stories around is because they had deeper meanings for the human condition. Right. So I started getting into a lot of the classics and reading stuff like you know, Milton and, uh, you know, Goethe and, you know, just kind of going into those, a lot of angels and demons type stuff, yeah. you know, like, um, and not from a religious perspective, but just from a story perspective, just, um, you know, what happened? What are these references? What are these allusions to all of these different things and different stories? And, um, but it's always been the, the things that go bump in the night. It's always been the creeper in the dark that, that draws me. So, um, you know, when I sit down to write, even when I'm writing stuff, that's like, I, I did a, in, in the next book coming out, I saying what it is will give it away. <laughs> so even, even saying what I had done will give it away. Um, so if you start reading the story, but I took a, uh, a well-known story and I put my own spin on it, but even, and it is not a dark story in any way in its original form, but I spun it around where it's actually pretty brutal. Um, and that's, I, I mean, I, it started off being kind of just like a little lighthearted sort of thing. But then as the words kept coming out, it just got, you know, the storms rolled in. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it's all, for me, it's always been genre, um, horror and fantasy. And then kind of more dark, dark into the fantasy side. Mm. So, yeah, I think you can see a difference between a person who, I mean, I, I don't doesn't have to be well read as such but I mean since I you know yeah I studied literature and I mean for many years my stories will often have references like that I mean they'll have literary references and sometimes I feel like old people are going to or I steal passages from the to me well-known stories and just like somebody's gonna find this and they're just gonna like this is plagiarism nobody Mm -hmm. ever does But I mean, oftentimes when I mean I steal uh, ideas from from like early well turn of the century authors like William Lequeur and Frank Heller, and people don't know who they are today, so I'm I'm, I'm safe there. Yeah, um, but but also I think it's kind of fun because it gives my characters a background when you can make references like that, and one day somebody who knows and understands those references is going to pick up this book and it's going to be like an instant connection. well and with the and i don't you know as far as what your your views on any kind of religion are but if you read like if you pick up like bullfinch mythology right yeah um that book is full of biblical references Hmm. you know they'll 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 talk about you know this god or goddess is as so and so was and you were like well who's so and so and then they've got a they've got an appendix or be like oh so and so's <laughs> some minor character from from the catechism or the from the bible or from you know whatever and it's like so in order like in order to read that book properly you have to know all this other stuff that they mm. used to teach that they don't teach anymore so i think a lot of times people are missing because even as literature you know you've got these great texts these great tomes that um, are, I guess, yeah, if you're if you're going into like a like in a, a literary field, or if you're studying it in college, 
but it's, I mean, it used to be taught in high school, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, no, and I can, th I can, I can, I can definitely relate to that because I can look at what the curriculum here at the sc in schools here are like compared to what they were when I went to, to school. And I think, unfortunately, we're seeing, now I don't want to say that it's a dumbing down, but I think it's just like a, a slimming down of, you know, general interest, general knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end, as as people, as human beings, that's that's all we have. You know, that's what separates us from the animals. When students ask me, why do I have to know how to, to read a poem? Or why do I have to read this book or this short story? I say, you know, like, why, why do I have to read the uh, gift of the Magi? You know, because so much is based on a story like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And in the end, that is part of our shared heritage as human beings. If we take that away and you don't learn that, we're not much different than right. any other animal. We have a gift. We can, we can create. We can fabricate stories. And, that's, and, and in that way also leave a social commentary on the time which we, which we lived. I and otherwise, totally I mean, otherwise it's all war. Yeah, I was going to say I totally agree because if you don't have the if you don't have the, the the beautiful part of the literature, then all you've got, like you say, is the is the the scary stuff and the history. <laughs> yeah. And history is pretty dark, and if you don't have uh, some light <laughs> or some good stories, it gets yeah. kind of. Uh. <laughs> it was a it, the whole thing of having books in in the car it reminds me of my my uh, father-in-law who who was i mean you can't like where he leaves like a trail of books after himself and he, i mean he's a no he's he's a factory worker he was most of his life and you'd think that he wasn't well read or anything but he'll have he reads everything you know um a lot of Tom Clancy, but there's some good stuff in there too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's a very, it feels like that's a very American thing because I think in the, in the, in the States, as opposed to a lot of European countries, books are, have been fairly cheap. You know, mm -hmm. paperback books are fairly cheap, uh, which I think is a service to, to uh, the American people because you can, you can afford to buy a book. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. And I mean, again, growing up, because uh, my dad would have like the Tarzan books, right? You know, like, yeah, the, yeah. the the Valentine or the the Bantam books from the '60s, right? Yeah. The just like the little twelve cent paperbacks and stuff. And I was fortunate in that um, I was I, I was a little, I was allowed to read whatever I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. um, I pull it off the shelf and. Um, I guess the comedian that made the, the joke, it's like any book is a children's book if the kid can read, right? <laughs> and that was kind of my dad's philosophy on things. Like, hey, if you, if, you know, if you can read it, then have at it. And so, you know, as, as pretty young, and if you go back and you're reading stuff like, like Burroughs, you know, it was Pulp Fiction in the 20s and 30s, but he's got a really thick language. <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> um, if you're, I mean, if you're like eight or nine, 10 years old reading that you're, you're getting a pretty good, uh, ver you know, uh, yeah. exercise in, in, uh, <laughs> in linguistics there. Um, the yeah. thing is, you know, whenever you're reading stories, if the, the ability to turn those, those words into images and you're living in the story, you know, and you can 
see and feel and breathe and feel the heat and that kind of stuff, then that's, that's what the point is, right? Like to transfer those words into pictures. And man, I sit under trees and read about Tarzan and read about Mars and, um, you know, lost cities and that kind of stuff and just dream my way into that, you know, like, what is it with, with lions in the jungle? But still, it didn't matter. <laughs> no, or yeah, no. There's a, of course, Burroughs is a lot less complicated than I think a lot of his contemporaries, like uh, H. Ryder Hacker and even you know Lovecraft and stuff like that. When it comes to misogyny and racism and stuff like, that. but so, but it's a good thing that those books that you picked up off the floor in, in the car and you know the pages that you read weren't the the the, the sexy parts because i mean there's a lot of that in, in stephen king too there, there is but it's and that's one of those funny things like kind of going back to and being a writer because i i did pick up a uh like i did answer a call for a anthology for like like erotic horror or whatever and i realized that i didn't have the like I've never, I've never tried to do that before. So I'm sitting there doing it and I'm like, okay, does this, is this, this just feels cheesy. This just feels janky. And, um, uh, my wife, she's burned out like four Kindles in the last like eight or 10 years because she just reads all the time. You can like, actually burn them out. I still have my Kindle. I had like the, like one of the first paper whites. Yeah. She's, she's on it so often that she just, like yeah she's burned she's burned out several because she just it's always on um but she you know she, but she reads everything like mm -hmm. she'll sh just if she sees a recommendation on amazon or whatever um we, we cracked we made the joke one time it's like because i collect comics and books and figures and stuff like that she's like i won't look at yours if you don't look at mine like as far as what like we're spending on things because oh, okay. she <laughs> she'll she uh but yeah dude so she'll read a lot of that kind of stuff not you know and and uh i'm like so how is it written like what's the you know what's the thing she's like oh you gotta have a good story it's kind of like the the graphic stuff is not as like i guess whatever the uh what was it the big one that just came out or a few years ago that was like the big big like whips and chains one or whatever oh you has 50 shades of gray yeah um she's like yeah that's a really crappy book <laughs> it's not really written well at all no. and uh i'm like okay so i guess the, the the point of it is is you don't have to write that stuff well like um and stephen king for his ability to write other things was so cringeworthy whenever he's whenever he writes a sex scene you just kind of want to skip over it and you know, ugh. <laughs> i read i think i read the dead zone was probably one of the first stephen king books i ever read and it has a little saucy sex scene uh, towards the end, I think. After, well, after he's had his accident and he's like fully healed. Um, and I remember, I think I must have been like 14 when I read that. <laughs> that. It was pretty steamy when I was 14. I remember that still. Remember I had a lot of uh, strange feelings that I hadn't had before. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. I think romance, I mean, my wife reads Outlander. Mm -hmm. And she's read some of those passages for me, and they're pretty graphic. In yeah. The Outlander books, and but I mean, my wife. Unfortunately, my wife doesn't read as much. She only reads like the Outlander books, like over and over again. 
Yeah, she's read those too. She's read them over and over again. I've actually bought her the first editions in, pay, in, in hardcover, but she still read, just reads them on her Kindle. Yeah, well, um, my wife reads them on her Nook. But, but they anyway. Love, they, they love the Outlander. Yeah, they <laughs> love their Outlanders. <laughs> my wife wants me to get a kilt. Uh, I think that's where that ends up. Uh, we're, we're actually running out of uh, time. Um, so if people want, what are you, you're working on your, your coming collection that is out uh, in October. Mm-hmm. People can still find your first book, uh, first story collection, Moonlight Road. Uh, any, I'm guessing anywhere you buy books? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, Amazon's where, um, where it's published out. Yeah. Um, but then I've seen it linked and you can buy it from the different, different other places. Um, but Amazon's probably going to be your easiest one. Yeah. Um, and then to find, find the other stories as well. Um, but yeah, the moonlit road, find it on Amazon, find it pretty much everywhere. Books are, I guess. I mean, I don't have uh, paperbacks in, in bookstores, unfortunately. <laughs> no. I'm trying, trying to work that out, but um, and then the next one, it's going to be called a trick of the light. Mm-hmm. And that, so Moonlit Road is very, like I said before, very heavy on demons and monsters. And uh, A Trick of the Light is a little bit, it's still, it's still scary. It's still a genre, but um, it's kind of more in the ghosts sort of little, little less demonic and a little bit more uh, paranormal, supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, and still scary. <laughs> so... Um, so when you when you say because I mean I've dealt with publishers that have anthologies that are available on more than than Amazon, but then I also have publishers that where the books are only available on Amazon, which makes it difficult because when you have say like you have uh, readers that want to buy your copy in somewhere in Europe where there isn't an Amazon, they'd have right. to pay a hell of a lot of shipping. Whereas if you can get, if you have a, a book that is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, just for instance, those two, usually right. you can buy it from a local online store. Yeah. Say, well, I have to look in because um, basically what I did was I uploaded it into, uh, in Amazon, released it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got all of the, all of the links and the Mobies and the book, you know, all, all yeah. of that stuff. And I put it up through, what is it? Uh, Booksprout. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's through there. And then again, I've seen it. It's, it's a weird sort of thing. Again, the, the technical side of self publishing, trying yeah. to figure out where, where things come. Like same, same thing with like my podcast is, you know, if I Google my own podcast and I'll find myself on a directory that I've never heard of before. Yeah. I don't know how they picked it up. If they, you know, grabbed the RSS out of the, out of the void or if it, you know, somebody, somebody linked it or whatever. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that it's available yeah. in as many think, places as possible. I think when it comes to the podcast, it depends on what, what, um, cause I used SoundCloud to, in the beginning and that mm-hmm. doesn't publish anywhere else. I mean, you have to actively take the RSS feed and take it to Stitcher or upload it to, to, to iTunes if, if you want it there. But I switched over to Anchor, and Anchor does all that for you. 
So, so now this podcast that you're on is going to be available on Spotify, on Apple uh, Podcasts, on, on a bunch of Castbox stuff like I've never heard of. Uh, yes. I think that, but I know that Booksprout and I think Ingram Spark, I think, is the other one. If you upload your books to that and get yeah, yeah. Your, get yourself your own ISBN number, then you can find you'll find your book internationally. Okay. So, so that's always something, and I think that even though I think it can cost a bit sometimes to do it. Like I think it costs like 50 bucks or something like that for a, like an ISBN number. Otherwise you get like the one that Amazon provides for free. Right. But it's worth it for, if you think about if you sell, you know, five more books because of it. True. It's already been paid. And I mean, I think there's something to be said about having your book at Barnes and Noble. I think. I agree. I mean, there's something about that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have my books at Wal- uh, my book at Walden or B. Dalton, but um, sadly they don't exist anymore. I know. God, we we do a nostalgia podcast, um, <laughs> yeah. and and talking about the stuff that used to exist that was so much fun. I mean, going to the mall now is just just lame. There's nothing there. There's no bookstores. No. There's no toy stores. There's no. There's a hot topic. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what there is. There's a hot topic. Yep. So and, yeah, it's yeah. Actually, before we go, tell us a little bit about your podcast because you're a podcaster as well. So yeah, I've got two of them. Um, the first one that is available everywhere is uh, it's called the Scary Dad Podcast, mm-hmm. and we talk about all things that are scary. So uh, started with my buddy Scott. We do um, you know we talk about movies and music. We talk about um, local legends, uh, haunted houses, both the real ones and the the haunted, you know, the attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a pretty good community of of fellow haunters and crafters and artisans and stuff. So we talk about just about everything that kind of falls under that umbrella, and mm-hmm. a lot of things that don't. But if they're just kind of tangentially related, we'll 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 pull them in. Um, and then we're in a little bit of a transition point right now because we had the convention, but it got shut down by yeah. pandemic. So we're, we're trying to kind of reorient our branding. Um, then we've got another one. I've got another one with another, another buddy of mine named Rick. That's uh, it's called, you know, what's awesome. And it was born out of, again, the whole, the world's coming to an end. Everybody's stressed. Everything sucks all the time. And we're like, you know what? You know what's awesome? The Karate Kid. You know what's awesome? You know, go going going to the mall back in the eighties and nineties. You know, just fun stuff that's nostalgic and it's not serious. And um, and again, it's not just movies or or anything. It's it's a little bit of everything. You know, yeah. um, just kind of trying to make people relax for a few minutes and have fun. But um, you can find both of those. Scary Dad, ScaryDad.com has a website. You can go there and pick up all of our episodes. Uh, um, that one's on all of the uh, uh, networks, all the platforms. That's the right word. Um, you know what's awesome is published through Legion Podcast, so they're on. It's it's on all of the same platforms that Legion is on, um, and we that one comes out every Tuesday. Scary Dad comes out every couple of weeks now. It used to be a weekly show, but um, it's been hard to get that one recorded and yeah, properly done. Uh, but I've, once we hang up, I've got a, I've got a new one to mix because we got together this weekend. So that's pretty fun. 
Um, and then, you know, you can hit up. I've got I've got stories in several anthologies. So if you if you if you go to Amazon and you find them in Moonlit Road, you can click on my author page, and there's a list of other books that are. Um, I'll have a story or two in them mm-hmm. as well. So, a uh, lot of lot of stuff out there. <laughs> and uh, we'll obviously link all that in the in the show notes. Uh, I don't think that we've been in a in an anthology together actually. Um, no, I don't think so. No, no I can't don't recognize that. We I was but, talking to you. We mentioned briefly. Uh, your name on the Easing the Reader podcast because I was talking about that I was going to interview you and my co-host thought that you were an old footballer who played for Manchester United. I said, I don't think so. (laughs) So I made the decision early on to not use a pen name because I have Scary Dad and I have a couple of other things where I've I've created characters that then I had to, you know, whatever. So I'm like, this is my name. My name is William Stewart. so you Google William Stewart and you can find two, <laughs> two people that, that come up b- ahead of me. One of them is a nephew of Adolf Hitler. They're great. Yeah. Right. Like that's not me. <laughs> and another one is some dude who wrote all kinds of crazy, weird historical uh, conspiracy theory books. So it's all this weird, like, I'm like, great. <laughs> Now, now I'm already out there. I have my author page built, have all my, yeah. <laughs> all my branding, all my books published and like, uh, but, um, so I guess the, the thing to do is just transcend all that stuff and become the, the top, the top search. on Google. Yeah. <laughs> become more popular than Adolf Hitler's nephew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're ever going to do that. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe enough people will be interested in this that they'll Google it just to see what I'm talking about, and they're like, "Oh, that's that guy." So I'll click on the page and buy the book. So. Yeah. Well, I think I think the footballer's name was Billy Stewart. Was actually the, so, which is I think very British. So if you, I think if you Google Billy Stewart, I think you'd even have you'd even be further down the list. <laughs> Probably. <unfortunately. laughs> well, this has been a delight. Yeah. How can people? Uh, get in contact with you uh, apart from going in on Facebook or through your podcast. I mean, follow you on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, if you, if you Google William Stewart stories, one okay. word, that's my website. Um, you've got all the subscribe links because I've got an Instagram again, William Stewart stories, Twitter, I think it's W underscore Stewart. Um, but everything links from the website. So if you go mm-hmm. to William Stewart stories.com, um, got all the announcements, the mailing list and everything there. That's a good central hub. And then you can find me, you know, through all the social medias there. Um, also my Amazon page again, uh, William Stewart, uh, <laughs> it depends on what you're looking for there. You might find, uh, old Willie, Willie Stewart that, uh, had a notorious uncle, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but if you search the moonlit road, you'll find, find me as well so yeah that might be that might be the best one but unfortunately i was looking when i was looking when i looked up my own amazon author page now at least i find myself if i just you know do my Mm -hmm. name see mary holtman before it would be always be when i only had like a couple when i had my name in a couple of anthologies it was like did you mean yeah (laughs) something (laughs) different I know, man. 
The oh, internet's yeah. crazy. But it's so much better than it used to be because before you you know, you had all the gatekeepers, you had all the publishers that yeah. tell you what you could and couldn't do. There was no searching. You just had no. to go to a bookstore and hope that the label had you know, some advertising for you. Otherwise you just got stuck on the shelf with everybody else. So yeah. at least with, with self-publishing and, and stuff, you can do self-promotion. If you realize there's a mistake, you can fix it. You know, you can change your edition like today. If I yeah. find a problem in the book, I can fix it right now and re-release and nobody would ever know that there was a mistake in that first edition. Oh. So um, no, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And especially the updates on Kindle as well. If you exactly. sync or update, it'll change whatever spelling errors might be in your book. Um, exactly. If, if I, so. Well, William, it was great having you on. And I am going to go check out your, uh, your podcast. I'm going to recommend you to my wife who started listening to podcasts, And I'm sure she'd enjoy Scare Dads at least. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time. It was great, great being on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll get – I'll get some inventory built up and we'll come on again at some point. <laughs> when you're, and when you're, I usually always say this, when your novel is ready to be released, you know, let us know and we'll uh, promote the hell out of it. I certainly will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great stuff. We're back. Um, I would like to thank William Stewart for coming on the podcast. It was great fun delightful uh, i would also like to thank all you listeners for tuning in and supporting this podcast remember to support our other podcasts um, which are the guild uh, after hours hosted by tim mendes we have the guild storytellers short audio fiction uh, of various kinds and also uh, easing the reader with where D david green and i talk about the wheel of time or of the world this week we're going to have a special guest so check that out also check out uh, the zero hour 2113 to pre-order it if you like cyberpunk check that out um also uh, i'd like to thank uh, the provider of music for this show john haltman uh, check him out as well on soundcloud you can find him i think that's all for today uh, please if you like what you hear Give us a star rating on any podcast app that you have. Tweet it out, Facebook it out, you know, share it, share it with your friends. That's what keeps us going. For now, thank you. Talk to you next week. <laughs>